You rely on this podcast to stay informed and connected with your local community, and we rely on you. Without listener support, this show simply wouldn't exist. Be a part of the team that makes this show possible by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute. Donate at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thank you. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Tuesday. This is Seattle Now. Gun violence in schools has only gotten more common in the past decade. And often it's young people themselves who say they're shouldering the burden of finding solutions to the crisis. This is not something that high schoolers should have to talk about. We should be focused on our grades, our friends, our future. We should not be focusing on if we're going to have that future at all. Today, we'll hear from two young reporters on what local advocates want to see and how young people can get involved in solutions. But first, let's get you caught up. The feds are giving the city $25 million to improve safety for pedestrians and cyclists in Soto. The money comes from the Department of Transportation's Safe Streets for All program. The plan includes four miles of protected bike lanes, a mile and a half of new sidewalks, and 117 intersection treatments like signage and pavement markings. The King County Council is set to vote today on a $1.2 billion behavioral health levy, which would include creating five regional crisis care centers. The levy also seeks to increase the amount of available beds for residential behavioral health treatment and try to bring more people into the behavioral health workforce. If the vote leaves the council, King County residents will be able to vote on the issue during a special election in April. And the Seattle Kraken fired indie music supergroup Who Is She from their gig as the team's weekend house band last week. They played a Seattle-fied version of La Tigra's My My Metro card, changed to My My Orca card, with lyrics critical of Jeff Bezos. The band told music news site Stereogum they were reportedly uninvited after Kraken leadership told them they were not a good fit for hockey. Before we start today's episode, a heads up. We are talking about gun violence in schools, including specifics of a recent shooting here in Seattle. We understand if you need to sit this one out, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Okay, here's the show. So it happened around 10 a.m., so that was during second period, and I was in my statistics class. That's Saren Dewar, a senior at Ingram High School. She was there on November 8th when the school went into lockdown. The students in her class didn't know what was going on, but they locked the door, turned off the lights, and lay down on the floor. It was through sort of like communication with other students, like over over text, that we realized, oh, somebody actually got shot in the building. And then you hear the sirens outside the building, and it gets really, really real. At this point, like, we're all terrified. It's just like dead silent. I'm personally just freaking out. Like, I start crying and, like, hyperventilating, and that makes me more nervous because I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to be making noise. Like, I don't I don't want to, like, draw attention to our classroom. So I'm just sort of, like, using my fleece to, like, muffle, muffle my mouth. It was, like, unifying to an extent because there were people next to me who I had, like, who I'd only known for a few weeks at that point who were, like, comforting me, like, reassuring me, like, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And, of course, they didn't know that, but it just... In that situation, like, what else can you say? A 17-year-old student died at Ingram that day. 
another student, a 14-year-old, is charged with murder. It's no secret that school shootings and the fear that comes along with them is a fact of life for students in America. And young people are increasingly shouldering the burden of solving this problem. We have two youth reporters here today to tell us what solutions local youth advocates want to see and what the path forward might look like. Hayden U. Anderson is a senior at Chief South High School in Seattle. Hayden, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And Antonio Navarez is a freshman at Seattle Pacific University. Hey, Antonio, thank you. It's a pleasure to speak with you. So I've been out of high school for a while now, and back then we were really worried about nuclear war. For us, that fear was present, but it was also really abstract. To start our conversation, can you tell me what it's like to go to school with the threat of gun violence? I only recently graduated high school, but I know, at least for myself and a few of my close friends I could talk about it with, there was always this fear that it could happen at any moment. There's a specific moment that I think about going all the way back to just before I started seventh grade. It was just a small conversation that I had with a friend of mine. I was so proud to show her my glow-in-the-dark Pokemon backpack. And her first response was, well, if it glows in the dark and there's an intruder in our school, he's going to see it, won't he? The fact that people as young as 12 years old are thinking and asking questions like that, to me, it's just very heartbreaking. And it's this anxiety that still lives with me, even as a first-year college student, At a school where we have had uh, something like that happen in the past, there has been a shooting at Seattle Pacific University, where I'm from. Hayden, what about you? How do you think about this in your life? Well, I think it's it's a very pervasive fear because we treat it almost like a fire or an earthquake. You know, at the start of the year, you walk into your class and your teacher says, if there's an earthquake, uh, you come hide under the desks. If there's a fire, we'll ring the alarm and you'll all file out. And if there's a shooter in the building, here's the nearest exit. Get out of the building as fast as you can. I think that particular phrase um, is one that kind of stuck with me. It's not a specific direction. There's no particular protocol. It's just here's the nearest exit. Run. We've been talking about how gun violence impacts your lives, but you've also been working to talk with youth advocates about how to change things. Who did you find that's doing this work locally and who's advocating for solutions? I talked to two people. Uh, The first person, Saran Dewar, is the person you heard earlier uh, recounting her experience during the shooting at Ingram High School, who is one of the leaders of Ingram for Gun Safety. And the second person I talked to was Natalia McConnell, who is one of the leaders of the Seattle Student Union, who have a very long history of advocating for students beyond just gun violence. And what are the broad stroke solutions you're hearing from young advocates about what they would want? So there are broadly two sides to what most student groups are advocating for. The first is something that attempts to mitigate things like this from happening in the first place. For the two people I talked to, for Saran and Natalia, that was mental health support. Mm -hmm. And the second one is a bit more direct, and that is gun control itself. And there's a bit of a difference here. Saran and Ingram for Gun Safety are in favor of 
mandating the sale of a safe storage device for every firearm purchased, whereas Natalia and I think to extent other members of the Seattle Student Union are uh, fairly staunchly anti-gun in the first place, mm. just saying that people should not be allowed to own them. I don't think these ideas are mutually exclusive, but there was a difference of opinion between the two of them. Well, let's talk a little bit about mental health here. Are there specific demands that young people would like to see? Absolutely. Saran talked to me about a particular curriculum that they want to incorporate into the schools, um, which is dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT to better deal with anxiety and interpersonal problems and stress and overall better equip these students to deal with these problems because for a lot of people, this isn't really support they either have or can afford or can get outside of classes. They've also demanded more funding. At Ingram High School, for example, there is a significant lack of counselors. Prior to the shooting, we only had one mental health counselor for our 1,400 students, which is just unacceptable because there's a large population of students at Ingram who cannot afford private counseling leaving students feeling like really unsupported. Included in our demand was having therapists that reflect the diverse backgrounds of students and having people who students can actually resonate with. So that's what young advocates are hoping for, more mental health support and more regulation around safer storage of firearms. Now, Antonio, you looked into those solutions and how young people can push for them locally. Let's start with guns. What does state law look like right now for the safe storage Saren was talking about? To learn more about this, I got to speak with Renee Hopkins. She's the CEO of the Alliance for Gun Responsibility. They're actually located right here in Seattle, Washington. And uh, when I specifically met with Renee Hopkins, I learned that she is more in favor, or I guess the Alliance is more supportive of gun violence prevention laws, um, not necessarily requiring for people to purchase safe storage devices when they purchase a gun. There are two approaches to safe storage. One, we did pass into law um, as part of Initiative 1639 in 2018. Basically, the way the law works is that if you own a firearm and it falls into the hands of a person who then causes harm either to themselves or others um, with that firearm, you um, can be criminally prosecuted. So that's an access prevention law. And then there's laws that that actually require safe storage. And of the two approaches, the access prevention uh, actually has more sort of science behind it, that it is more effective. So this is something already happening in our state, a law that aims to enforce safe storage. The other thing Saren pointed to was mental health support for young people in school. You spoke to the school district. What did they say to the idea that students want to see more mental health support? I got to speak with Stephanie Edler, the mental health program manager at Seattle Public Schools. And right off the bat, what I learned is that, to sum it up, one of the main issues is the funding. Mm. There's just not enough money to get more counselors at the moment. And I wanted to learn more about that specifically. But when I reached out to Seattle Public Schools for additional comment, they weren't able to provide anything. But when I spoke with Stephanie Edler, what I learned is that one of the best ways to start for any young person is by talking about mental health within your circle. If you're a young person, you can start off by speaking with your family about it 
and working towards getting rid of the stigma of mental health. That's how we can bring up more of these conversations, and that's how the conversation of mental health can come up more within schools. You know, this is so personal, and it's high stakes for so many people, parents and children, right? What can young people do to be more active in advocating for solutions right now? I learned that it's best to start in smaller circles, especially uh, when it comes to ASB in school and um, student councils. That is the best way to have your voice heard within your school as a young person. The Alliance for Gender Responsibility specifically does work with young people through programs and even uh, internships and externships to learn more about how to bring this change. Sometimes they even go all the way down to the state's capital to protest and advocate for these laws. We've been talking about youth activism, you know, young people standing up and saying we need to fix this. I would be very proud of my child if he stood up for something like this, but I am sad as a parent that my child and his peers are put in a position where they have to do this work. How do you feel about the role that you and other young people have taken up? As a teenager, it does feel very difficult to think about this. From my window at my dormitory at Seattle Pacific University, I'm able to see this memorial for a victim of a Seattle Pacific University shooting that happened many years ago. And it's almost like a daily reminder for me. But it does feel genuinely heartwarming to know that there are adults that really care. It's very easy for many young people to feel like there's no adults that are listening. And for me, it means a lot that there are still people that are listening to children, to teenagers, and to youth, and that there are resources in my city of Seattle that are readily available and are working towards listening to young people. I think that in some ways it is profoundly depressing as a young person, that it was necessary to talk about this. We should not have to fight like this just for the right to feel safe and comfortable in our schools. And we, and by we I mean the people who are in charge of the policies in this city, in this state, in this country, should feel shame that it has come to this. And I think it does speak to Saren's strength. Not only has she so publicly rallied against this, but she has so publicly rallied against this after experiencing a shooting. Hmm. You know, in the past, of course, you've heard arguments that like this type of legislation should be left to the unilateral decisions of the adults. But I think if anything that November 8th demonstrates, it's that student voices need to be heard in these issues because these issues are directly impacting us. I really appreciate those answers, and I really appreciate you and the work you did looking into this issue for us. Hayden U. Anderson and Antonio Navarez, youth reporters with KUOW's radioactive program. Really appreciate you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Claire McGrain. The show is also produced by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers. 
Vaughn Jones, Brandy Fullwood, and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.